One, two. You hear the clock ticking? Tick tock. You about to stop living? Tick tock. I want you to remember me. Tick tock. But the day don't have no memory. I'm coming. Nobody can stop me. Nobody can hold me. Nobody can control me. I'm what coming. is up, my dudes? What is up, my dudes? It's the Pieces Corner Podcast, broadcasting live. Today on this Saturday afternoon, it is um, a hot, toasty, humid day. I'm under the carport in our under the carport studios here. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way. We are going to um, ease a lot of people's concerns here in the next, oh, I always say an hour and 15, hour and 20, and the show's end up running to about two hours. So I'm going to not undersell myself today. In about the next two hours or so, we're going to ease a lot of people's worries and concerns and answer a lot of questions and give a lot of calmness and and a lot of relief to a lot of people who are so desperately looking for it. In the next segment, we're going to have Mr. Kenny Delcom with the Lafouche Parish School System. Um, Mr. Delcom is uh, the guy or one of the guys making the big, key, critical athletic decisions involving the Lafouche Parish school athletic programs reopening so we talked to mr delcom it's a pre-recorded interview we went about 22 23 minutes great interview he gave great insight into some of the things that are going to be happening uh some of the things that are not going to be happening he gave his thoughts and his opinions and the full lafouche parish reopening plan uh we thank mr delcom so very much for his time so gracious with his time uh i know he's busy and uh he gave us some time so we're so grateful for that um then after Mr. Delcom, we're going to have a local basketball official. Derek Ross will be joining us um, for my dollar. One of the best, if not the best, officials in the association. Does a great job. Very humble and very um, very in to his craft for the right reasons. Um, a lot of guys, you know, will officiate for the wrong reasons. Derek is in for the right reasons. He wants to make a difference. He wants to help out. And he wants to call an honest, fair game. And that's all you could ask for with officials. Uh, that's also a pre-recorded interview. It was very good. It was very interesting to hear his perspective and his thoughts on some different things. So I think you guys are going to enjoy that as well. We're recording this at, uh, like I said, on Saturday afternoon. This is a critical stretch of days here in our reopening efforts. Um, Governor John Bell Edwards is going to be making a decision on Tuesday because his latest proclamation extending phase two extends uh, until Friday. So he's got to make a decision for anybody. And I've been asked this question a million and 50 times in the last couple of days for anybody expecting a drastic change being, you know, hey, are we going back to phase one? No, we're not. Or, hey, are we going into phase three? Probably not. We're just kind of in this neutral pattern. And I know people have messaged me saying, well, the numbers have been getting a little bit better. And that's that's a fact. The numbers are getting a little bit better. Um, but I think people also have to understand and realize that we were awfully close to being back in phase one. So uh, the idea that just three, four days of progress would then suddenly jump us into phase three is not realistic. Um, we're going to have to show sustain, uh, sustained three, four weeks of progress before we get into phase three. And then you do the math. Um, you know, if, if, if we've got to be in phase four for football, you do the math. If we're still three, four weeks away from phase three, and then phase four is three weeks of successful phase three, that puts us six to eight weeks away from we're even having conversations about any of this stuff. 
taking place. So we're still ways away, but we're going to cover that and, and more in a, in a full segment about sports in the back end of the show. Uh, reminder, a little housekeeping, then we'll catch a break and get to the meat and potatoes. You guys want to hear Kenny Delka more than you want to hear me, and I understand that fully. A reminder, on um, next week's show, we have Mr. Eddie Bonine, the executive director of the Louisiana High School Athletic Association. We're so grateful to have Mr. Bonine. He'll be joining us, um, recording that interview at 1 o'clock on Wednesday. So we'll be talking to Mr. Bonine about a lot of the same things that, that I spoke with Mr. Delcom about, except where we focused on Lafouche Parish with Mr. Delcom. We're going to be focusing on the state as a whole. Um, I don't think football season could start on time. I'm going to ask Mr. Bodine directly, hey, you know, are we going to have to push this thing back? And, and some of the other athletic questions that you guys are going to send to me. And with that having been said, the reason why I'm in introducing this interview ahead of time, if you have a question that I should ask to Mr. Bonine, email it to me. Get to me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be, Twitter at KC underscore JustClaire. Email JustClaireKC at gmail.com. Facebook, just search my name, KC JustClaire. You'll find me. Um... I'm very transparent. I don't turn down friend requests. Uh, you you add me. We'll talk, and, and I will ask any question that you guys have for Mr. Bodine. Because if it's important to you, it's important to me, and we'll get that figured out. And we look forward to speaking with Mr. Bonine next week. Um, another thing of note, um, I ask you guys to do this all the time, and it's a favor to me, but it's also a favor to our little sports community that we're building here, our little Lafouche Parish Um sports slash coronavirus community that we're building here subscribe to the podcast find us on the uh the itunes store um casey's corner podcast subscribe and if you listen to the show and you enjoy the show then give us a rating and give us you know if you feel it's a good rating you know feel free to to, to give us a five-star rating and, and write a review or whatever it may be um because you and, and and i explain this every episode but i'll explain it again what that does is that allows us to show up higher in the library which allows us to reach a wider audience, which then allows us to book bigger guests. And what I mean by that is I would have not been able to three or four weeks ago book James Ellsworth, a former WWE guy, on this show if James Ellsworth's team hadn't then gone and found the show in the iTunes library, seen that it currently has several ratings, seen that the the subscribers are growing, you know, if not for that progress, I wouldn't have been able to book that guest. So by you guys doing those things, it's allowing us the opportunity to open more doors. And by having more doors open, I could do so much more to book an Eddie Bonine, to book, you know, a well-known professional wrestler, to book, you know, athletes and everything in the future. We're trying to get Ed Ogeron on the show. That would be big. Um, so that allows us to do more. And the more we could do, the more we could entertain you guys, the more we could educate you guys, the more we could spread good, positive, factual information. That's always been the goal, and that's what we're going to continue to strive to do. So with that being said, let's catch a quick commercial break, and then we're going to have Mr. Kenny Delcom. I know you guys had a lot of questions and a lot of concerns. Mr. Delcom answers a bunch of them. It's a great segment. You guys are going to want to listen to it and more. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFouchGazette.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Guess what, guys? We have another exciting announcement to make about some of the wonderful ways that we're going to be serving our public going forward here at the Lafouche Gazette. Beginning this fall, we're going to be launching our Generation Next series, which is going to be highlighting some of the amazing young men and women who are in our Lafouche Parish school system. 
These are going to be young men and women who are in school clubs and are succeeding in the classrooms and are doing everything possible to establish themselves as the next leaders in our community. Our Generation Next series is going to involve your help. We need your help in the community to make this happen. So if you've got any student that you would like to recommend, if you've got any student that you'd like to nominate, send them to me, please. Just Blair Casey at gmail.com. G-I-S-C-L-A-I-R-C-A-S-E-Y at gmail.com. Together, we're going to shine a spotlight on these amazing young men and women and give them the recognition that they deserve. We are LeFou Strong. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, Mr. Kenneth Delcom. He is the LaFouche Parish School District Curriculum and Accountability Supervisor. Mr. Delcom, good afternoon. How are you, my friend? Uh, doing great, doing great. Just getting ready for the new school year. I'm sure you guys are. I'm sure there's a lot going on in your offices. And uh, we want to have you on because we're getting a lot of questions about athletics. And I know that's one of the, the areas under your umbrella um, LaFouche is currently uh, not able to be participating in their uh, athletic preparations for the upcoming seasons. Can you give us an update on, you know, kind of where things stand right now? So, yeah, at the beginning of June, um, we, along with everybody else in the state, basically opened up again for um, for summer workouts. And uh, we, we continued with that. Um, through just a few weeks ago um but you know through that process what happened um was you know at the beginning of june when we opened up we were looking at uh you know uh, 400 500 cases per day the trend was moving in the right direction um there was a positive outlook on on the direction we were heading with covid in the state and um you know, through that, if you look at it just a month later, the beginning of July and even up till today, um, you know, 400 cases a day became 15, 16, 2000 yeah. cases per day. The hospitalizations are going back up again. Um, as, as I'm sure you're aware, the, the, the South Lafouche area is getting hit, uh, pretty hard right now with that. And we, and that was reflected, um, in our workouts, we had some outbreaks taking place and, um, you know, basically just between myself and the three high school principals, uh, as well as Mr. Martin and school board members as well. Um, we just felt that the risk outweighed the reward, uh, at some point, uh, during this. And we decided to temporarily, at least just kind of put it on hold. Uh, until we could reevaluate the direction that we're heading in. Mr. Dalcom, one of the, the things that I'm hearing from coaches around the area is the concern of, okay, well, you know, we're not able to work, but these other schools are. And, and my opinion is this, my opinion is that because of those competitive uh, imbalances, we're going to probably have to start postponing dates of seasons and everything. Do you kind of share in that sentiment? Is that kind of what you're hearing? Is that, you know, hey, late August, early September may or may not be the, the start of the season unofficially? Well, I, I, know, I know what the LHSA has put out in terms of dates. Um, 
you know, myself and, and the three principals uh, talk weekly um, about all of this. And, uh, you know, me and Mr. Haydell from Thibodeau High were having this conversation just a couple of days ago. You know, he was a coach. Uh, I was a coach. Um, if I was a coach, I'd be chomping at the bit to get back to practice right now myself. Sure. Um, but um, we're going to basically right now where we at is between the principals and the athletic directors, we're going to be in constant communication with each other. Um, we're going to open up uh, for practice again just as soon as we feel comfortable that we can do it safely. Um, we, we do realize that, you know, according to the LHSA's current calendar, um, I mean, they have jamborees set for basically three weeks from now. Now, personally, I don't see that happening. I don't think we're going to be there in three weeks. Um, I hope we are. I absolutely hope we are because, you know, the overriding thought in our minds right now is we need to get back to normal as soon as possible for these seniors and not just for the seniors, but for all of our kids. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we understand the frustration. We understand everyone's concern and, uh, we want to get back just as much as, as anyone. Um, but again, we have to consider safety of 15,000 kids and, and, several thousand employees in our system. So it's definitely a very difficult balancing act, uh, trying to measure out something that none of us have ever had to do before. No doubt about that. And, you know, at the college level or at the professional level, there's all this television revenue that's coming in, so it's self-sustaining. But at the high school level, your revenue is based on fans. So the question that I get a lot is, if there are not fans in the stands or if there are restrictions, you know, 25%, 50%, whatever it may be, how could you guys physically foot the bill to have these athletic teams, you know, continue to, to move forward? Well, yeah, that is a concern. Um, we believe it is something that we can overcome. I don't think it's going to be a, a, a barrier. Uh, it's a complication, no doubt, because every time you play an away game, you know, you, you got to load up those buses and we have bus restrictions in place right now where and as long as we're in phase two, which, of course, we can't even begin to play until phase three, uh, even in phase three, bus capacity is 75 um, percent. It's going to take you, I don't know, five, six, seven buses just to move your football team. Uh, those, bu those buses cost money. Uh, referees. You know, you know, that's five or six hundred dollars per game for referees. Um, so there's expenses that come with hosting those games. Um, is just the other day, um, in talking to the athletic director at Central Lafouche, uh, Coach Vedros, he's actually, um, jumping in on a meeting soon with a, a company who is, uh, pro wants to provide, uh, a, basically a streaming service, pay per view, if you will for um for games in the event we uh cannot have fans in the stands wow. and that we would play a game that could potentially at least help recoup um some of the money because like you said we don't have tv contracts we're not the sec um so it is something we have to be very aware of um as we navigate through this 
but we don't want to tell, I don't want to tell a kid, Hey, listen, you know, I know we can play football, but you know, I'm sorry about your senior year because, uh, because of money. Like that's not a conversation I would want to have with a kid or a coach or a parent. So if it's at all possible, when we get to the point where we can play games, um, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that that does happen in Lafourche. One question that I, I, I don't know the answer to, so I'll ask you, see if you've got any guidance, is I know that these teams have these these contracts where, you know, hey, you got to play a certain opponent in week one or week two, whatever it may be, these non-district contracts. If, let's say, we get to the first week of the season and nothing is postponed and Lafouche Parish isn't ready, but other schools are ready, do you have any guidance in terms of, you know, hey, is Lafouche going to have to pay out anything for these deals? Will it be a forfeit? Do you guys have any guidance in terms of from the LHSA what that's going to look like? I have not heard anything directly from the LHSA in regards to that issue. Um, just by the nature of the LHSA being an organization of principles, um, they don't usually um, – I usually get that information secondhand sure. uh, in my position, um, mostly, you know, obviously through discussing discussion with the principals. Um, it is something that we've been talking about. Uh, it is something that we are beginning now to reach out. Our schools are reaching out to, to those uh, pre-district opponents um, who they have those contracts with. Um, but there's no specific and clear guidance from the LHSA that I'm aware of at this point in time. But you're right. Um, it's going to be hard to pay, say, White Castle, for example, a few thousand dollars to come in to play Central Lafouche um, when Central Lafouche has no no mechanism to make any kind of money off a of gate or concessions, uh, if, if that'd be the case. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you this, if if we do get to a point where the LHSA says, and of course the governor through um, putting us in phase three where we could start to look at playing games, um, we're going to do everything in our power to be ready to play at that time. If the state opens up, we're going to play. So the guidance I'm looking at right now says, you know, we got to be in phase three and we got to be on a positive, uh, positive trend as it relates to the virus. So, I don't think we're going to be there in the next couple of weeks, but um, we're going to, again, we're going to get back to practice as, as soon as possible. As soon as all the stakeholders here um, in Lafourche are, are feel comfortable about doing that, um, we're going to get back to practicing, and uh, we feel like we can be ready for that point in time where whatever week one is, or whenever week one is, that we'll be ready to play. Very good. And... Um, in terms of, I mean, I, you hear this all the time, and I, I, in, in early July you heard it a lot. Now it's kind of faded out. Seasons flipping around. Um, do you think that's something that's realistically still on the table? I know the baseball coaches aren't in favor of it, but do you think that that's still a realistic option? Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, you know, at face value, it's like, oh, okay, that might make a that might make some sense. Um, but I do understand the concern of the baseball coaches. I mean, from their standpoint. They got their season ended uh, last spring, so so those kids didn't get to play much of a season in the spring, and then you flip baseball to this fall, the way that we're trending right now, that would maybe be two seasons in a row that their season would either be cut short or not played at all. 
Um, and I, I, that would be devastating for a kid. Um, so I understand that, you know, that side of things. Um, that, you know, that's something we haven't spent a lot of time worrying about in Lafouche because that's not going to be a Lafouche decision. Sure. But, um, I definitely see, uh, see both sides of that issue. So, uh, you know, we're just going to wait on that. I'm, I mean, I don't think it's happening now, obviously, with what we've been hearing. But um, I don't know, man. It, it, you know, everybody that's involved in this, it's just so difficult because everybody wants to give, uh, give these kids everything that we can possibly give them. And, and we realize how just unfortunate and unfair it is to these kids uh, what, what's happening right now. And, um, you know, just every one of these decisions starts and ends with what can we do uh, for those kids to, to at least kind of salvage some kind of normalcy uh, with everything that's taking place. It's, it's really, really tough for everybody. I understand that. Um, the meat and potatoes of the, the plan once you guys are reopening, you know, the seasons are starting. If little Jimmy or little Joe comes down and, and has COVID-19, who has to quarantine? How do you guys make those decisions? Well, that's a moving target right now. As a matter of fact, we just got some some new and updated guidance from the Department of Health um, clarifying who needs to uh, self-isolate um, and, and for how many days. And, you know, it, a lot of that depends on what, what, uh, who comes into close contact with those people. So, um, you know, the short answer is that when, when one of these things happens at a school, and it will, um, that principal is going to let uh, our safety manager here at uh, the district level, as well as Mr. Martin's office, our superintendent, um, and they're going to be in contact with the Department of Health. It's Dr. Riggins who, uh, who oversees Region 3. So no dis- we're not going to make any decision in isolation. Um, everything that we do here to make those decisions in those situations is going to be in, in consult with the Department of Health. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it just keeps changing, and uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to keep up with. Um, so I can't really tell you what's going to happen two or three weeks from now when this inevitably does happen, because honestly, by that point, the, the guidance may, may have already changed yet again. Sure. Uh, and... I, I know my, my coaching buddies are, are wondering this, so I'll ask you. Um, let's just say for a second that a sports season is is canceled completely. Will those guys and gals get their stipends for the upcoming year? Yeah, we that is a discussion that we've had um, here in the, in the central office. Um, that would most likely be something that we would have to discuss with the school board uh, itself. But... Um, you know these coaches. They, you you know this. They don't have it. Coaches don't have a season uh, in some of these sports. They work year round. Sure. Um, so we may structure their pay to where it hits. You know within the confines of the season that's defined by the LHSA. But um, there, there's you know I was a I was, I was a basketball coach. You know we we might have shut down after the playoffs, but in, in February. But by April, May, we were picking it back up again. We worked through the whole season, uh, you know, down to the next season preparing. So it is a year-round job. 
So it's not just um, game days that these guys are getting paid for. They've been working all summer. They've been preparing since last season. So um, we don't have any inclination to do anything with their pay, uh, you know, for something like this that's out of their control. Now, one of the big concerns that people have is that, okay, if you take sports away from these kids, then, you know, you may lose them to depression and mental illness and whatever it may be. If, let's say, again, let's say that the fall sports have some hiccups, if that were to be the case, is the school board or school system planning to do something to offer help or relief to these kids to help them through that tough time? Yeah, you know, these students have been... Uh, out of school for six months. If you look at March going uh, all the way down to August here, that's a, that's a long time to be away from school. Um, and, and, you know, you, you know, just through your relationship with coaches that, uh, you know, coaches tend to believe that they keep kids locked into school, engaged with school many times through sports. Um, Many of the many of the kids we work with, you know, that's what gets them up in the morning to come to school, and um, it's going to be a big blow. Um, my daughter just graduated high school a couple years ago, and I, I and I try to put myself in the shoes of a parent uh, of of a kid that's in high school now, and, and how much uh, um, how devastating it would be. You know, uh, I played high school sports. You know, that's. That's what I woke up in the morning for. That was all we were, uh, that was at the forefront of our mind every day, you know? So that is a very big concern for us, uh, not just with our athletes, but with all of our kids, even down to some of our youngest kids, um, who we also think that's going to be a big effect on them as well. You know, the, the pre-K and kindergartners who were just getting into the routine of school, and now you took it from them for six months, and now we're going to try to put them back into that routine yet again. It's going to be like starting over. So we have um, we have plans in place through our pupil appraisal center. We have school psychologists. We have uh, school counselors and school support specialists that are all there. And their sole job is the well-being and the mental health of our students. So uh, it is something that we are aware is going to be a prominent issue. In our school system and all school systems this year with the drastic changes that have taken place so um so yeah we're going to be ready um to to assist our kids in, in trying to get them back on a routine because routine is 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 what is important about this amen and there was a little confusion about this initially um in terms of if mm-hmm. a student is doing the virtual learning will they then be eligible for extracurriculars yes or no yes they will be eligible. The only way that we would change that decision is if the LHSA came out with some type of ruling that superseded our local decision. But um, as of now, as in, like I said, until um, unless uh, we get overruled by the LHSA, what I, which I don't believe is going to happen, um, not just athletics, but all of our extracurriculars, FFA, AG, 4-H, band, choir, all of our uh, extracurricular activities will be available to all students in our system, whether they're choosing to be 100% virtual or 
if they're going to be one of our kids, at least to begin with, on a, the A-B model. Very good. And last question for you. Um, how much time do we need? You know, if, you know, we're able to unlock the doors and get people back out there, how much time in your estimation do these football teams, these volleyball teams, these cross-country teams need to get ready for competition? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't even pretend to know that answer, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I would defer to our coaches. Obviously, football is a, is a little bit of a different concern um, just by the nature of football. Um, I think probably volleyball and cross country and some of those sports would be able to pick up a little bit more quickly. Um, but football is definitely going to need uh, the right amount of time just from a safety standpoint to make sure we have these kids prepared uh, to go out and tackle people on Friday night. So um, we're going to continue to have conversations with our principals. Um, I speak to them almost daily. I'm speaking to our athletic directors weekly right now as well. And when we as a whole feel comfortable um, that we can open this thing back up again, then I promise you that we're going to do it as soon as we can and, and as soon as it is safe, because regardless of everything else that's going on, uh, safety is and will always be our top priority with our students. Sounds like a winner. Look, Mr. Duckham, I thank you so much for the time. You've answered so many of our questions, and I know that uh, this last 20 minutes is going to put so, so many parents and student-athletes at ease. So thank you so much. Absolutely, anytime. And uh, I would just like to remind our parents that um, they can go to our school board website. We have frequently asked questions. I know it's a lot of information, and it's overwhelming for parents right now. But uh, we do have a few mechanisms up for frequently asked questions. And also, we actually have a link posted up where a parent can actually select that link, type in their question. And if it's a question from a, a 6 to 12 school, that question comes directly to my email. And, and, and I will answer their, their email and their concern, their question. And we have the same thing set up on the elementary side. So we're never going to be perfect with it, but we are going to try to do our best to keep our parents informed. And... Um, so I'd just like them to know that, and if they have any questions beyond that, I'd just ask them to please reach out to, to the school or to us, and uh, we'll do everything we can for them to, to help them through this tough time. That's perfect. Well, look, keep pushing, ma'am. I know that you guys are going to be uh, ready for a very successful open to the school year in the coming weeks. All right, man. Thank you for your time. Yes, sir. We thank Mr. Kenny Delcom so much for the time, and I, I hope that he answered some of the questions and concerns that you guys have. Our school system and our school district continues to do a lot of legwork to keep our kids uh, safe, keep our parents informed, and their transparency has been so appreciated. So we thank Mr. Delcom again. Let's catch a quick commercial break when we get back. Derek Ross, local basketball official, from a guy who's at a school board level making calls to an official who's making calls on the playing field. We'll talk to Derek Ross after this break. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFouchegazette.com. Hey guys, I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again. But I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in Lafouche Parish, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the Lafouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the Lafouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in Lafouche Parish that people are talking about. 
we're going to be talking about it and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the Lafouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, download it 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the Lafouche Gazette app today. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFouchegazette.com. Joining us now, local basketball official, Derek Ross. Uh, what's up, buddy? How are you? Man, how are you? Good to hear from you, man. Absolutely. Good to hear from you. And um, I know that the, the pandemic is difficult on everyone, and I know that you love to officiate games over the summer, be it AAU, be it, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, when was the last time you called a game, big man? And, and I'm sure that you're, you're itching to get back on a full-time schedule. Believe it or not, I want to say uh, February, the end of February. I want to say was my last game, and I haven't, uh, I haven't done any refereeing. I've been catching withdrawals. I've been uh, <laughs> passing by watching these little kids on the on the basketball court putting the windows down, asking if they need a referee, you know, just to see if I can get back on to it, you know. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you about that because that's a great question. So let's assume that the the basketball season starts on time in October, uh, November ish, and You've not refereed in a long time. Is there any rust that's involved in that? You know, how do you shake off that rust, so to speak? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I've been faithfully staying in shape physically. You know, always get up and run every other day just to make sure everything is good. As 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 for, as as um as in refereeing, um, you should always stay focused when you get on the court. So you you should never lose sight at that. But as far as being rusted, nah. I'll never be rested. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. I, I don't know the answer to this myself. Uh, how did you get the, the, the itch to want to do this? When did you start? And I guess talk us through your journey a little bit. I want to say at about the age of 15, I started doing a uh, recreational ball down here in Terrebonne Parish. And uh, I was kind of nervous at first when I started doing it. You know, of course, when you were young, starting off anything, you're a little nervous. But as time progressed, I started, you know, really uh, catching interest in it. Of course, I played the basketball game. So as I'm thinking, it shouldn't be that difficult at all. Um, and it, it, it wasn't. Um, I I, uh, I got with a couple of veteran guys that was already into the system. And I just learned and um, I followed and I watched. And I always asked questions. And I think that's the, one of the most important things when you're refereeing a basketball game and you're just starting this. Always ask questions. It's, ne- it's never a dumb question because you're going to be in a situation one day on that basketball court and you're going to be froze if you don't ask that, that question on what would you do. So uh, I I, um, I learned a lot. And I want to say in about 2005, I said, you know what, I'm going to join the high school association. And um, I didn't jump on the court right away doing high school ball. I only did uh, junior high because that's what I was uh, prone to per se, with recreation ball, because it's really like a little junior high ball when you do recreation mm-hmm. ball. And um, I took a real strong liking to it. So I continued to progress what I learned and, and from the uh, older guys. And uh, I want to say around 2010, I want to say, you know what, this is my time, and I want to try it. I started doing a couple of little uh, girls' varsity basketball, 
And uh, at the time, I, I, I assigned the secretary, Mr. Brown, and I, I told her I think I'm ready to do a little boys basketball. And um, I started doing a little boys basketball. And believe it or not, from listening to all the older veterans guys and asking questions, it really seemed very easy to me once I got on the court. And I learned how to position myself to get myself in the different angles to where you'll be able to see the play. And from that point on, I think it's just been a little bit easy ride per se for me because of so much knowledge that I got from older guys before I got into the game. And from this point on, you know, it's just been a real smooth sensation for me. Um, I'm trying to get back really on the college level. I did a little college ball, not like I really wanted to, but the passion that I have now, I really would like to get back onto that college floor and do what I really love to do, which is referee and basketball, because I can eat, sleep, and referee <laughs> with no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, one of the things that everybody's wondering about is if there are not fans in the stands, what's it going to look like? And I know as officials, you guys are, I mean, you guys are competitive just like anybody else and you want to do a good job for those big, you know, high stakes games. If there are not fans at DHL Bourgeois Gym or at the Thibodeau Gym, is that going to be a little bit of a bummer to you guys too, won't it? Yeah, it, it, it will be. And um, not hearing not hearing the crowd is a, is a real big, is a real big thing for everyone. Because, you know, as a referee, when you walk into that pack house, I mean, you get that feeling just like you on the court, you know. So you really want that same rush, too. But let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope that this uh, this phase will lift and we can, you know, get a crowd in and, and be able to have a participating crowd. But if not, I still think the game will still be a, 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 great, a great atmosphere with no one in it. But let's just say, let's hope that these... Uh, this phase is lifted and we won't have to worry about that. And hopefully we can get some fans in there to be able to participate as well. Amen. Um, one of the things that I give you compliments for often is I feel like you're very um, poised. And what I mean by that is, you know, whenever there's a close 50-50 call and a coach is questioning you, you don't get rattled. You, you take the time to explain what you saw. And I think you score a lot of points with the local coaches because you stay poised. You don't give out the quick technical foul or overreact. What allows you in the heat of the moment to maintain your composure and, and to stay, you know, kind of calm and collected in the heat of battle? You just, you just as an official, you got to remember, everyone is watching you, especially after you blow that whistle. So if you blow that whistle, you better have your mind already made up on what it is that you call. After you have your mind made up, and you have a break in between where a coach wants to, you know, question you or ask you a question, there's nothing wrong with having a, a real good conversation with a coach. Um, I've, I've been in situations like that before, but once you give that explanation like you're supposed to, and, 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 and you don't have to go to the coach and do all that hollering, because sometimes they be hollering, you know, and you just have to, you just have to be strong, you know, real, real strong, because, of course, if not, it can, it can really make you bust. And you don't want to, as an official, you don't want to let anyone see that. You want to be able to be that strong person and make that right call and be able to have an explanation behind what it is that you call. If you have that every time and stay consistent with it, a coach wouldn't mind having a person like you in the gym. And I think that's why I, I, I do so well. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the best at what I do. I, I know I'm not. But what I do is I do 
well and I do it consistently. And I think that's the key in everything in life. If you are consistent with anything that you do, you would always be great at whatever it is that you are striving for. And I think that's why I, I, I am where I am today with this whistle. How hard is it? Because, look, we all live in this small, tight-knit community where there are so many high schools in such a small area. And you know the coaches, you know the players, you know the parents of the players. But at one time, yeah, you want to be a student of the game and you want to you want to learn. But on the other hand, you don't want to you know, learn too much because then you may be knowing too much about the guys and that would, you know, kind of skew what you're looking for during the game. Is it hard to kind of be involved but not be involved too much, so to speak? No, not really. I mean, you know, we as local officials, we know a lot of people. And I, uh, I myself, I know a lot of people. I speak to a lot of people. When I'm on a basketball court cases, when I put my stripes on, when I step on the court, I have no friends. The only friends that I have are the people at the table and my two partners. Those are the two people that I'm going to communicate with as well as the table. And I know other officials, they all have friends too, but in our mind right now, our game, our, in our mind, we're game planning to sit. We want to make sure we call a great game, and that's the most important thing. We don't want to just be blowing the whistle. We want them to play. We want the players to dictate the game. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't, ever want anybody, I don't ever want anybody to think, just because I know this person, I know that person, that that I'm going to help that person. That's not, that's not, that's not me. You know, and I tell that to all my other officials that's coming up in the league. You're going to know people, but you got to call the game like you see it. I don't care if that's your friend. I don't care if that's your cousin of a friend. You got to call the game like you see it. And if you do that, like I said, it goes back to what I was just saying, being consistent, everything will flow. Now, at the end of a week, I mean, there, there's Monday through Friday, there's competition and, you know, there's tournaments on the weekends and, like, you log a lot of miles on those legs, man. People don't realize how much running you guys do. I mean, you got to be in pretty good shape to do this at a high level, don't you? Right, right. And uh, believe it or not, Casey, I'm 46 years old, man. And I can still run with the best of them. Yeah. You know, and the, 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 kids, the kids are not getting any younger. And I love what I do. And as, and as any official, if you stay in shape, you have to run every day. But if you stay in shape and you know what it is, you already know you got 32 minutes of running, 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 running. But if you just stay in shape, everything up there falls for you, you know? Yeah, no doubt about that. And if someone wants to become an official, I know that there's a lot of training and schooling and everything that goes in, in, into that. Talk us through the process of what you have to do to get involved. Because I know you guys are short of some officials every year. So if, you know, to get those numbers up, what does somebody have to do to get involved? Uh, it's not that hard at all. You can go on the LHSA website because they're always offering, if you want to be an official, sign in. But my thing is, don't just do it just because it says sign in. You got to, you know, just make make sure you have at least some recreation under your belt. Because a lot of people think that they see us on the basketball court and it's easy, but really it's not, you know. So my thing is, if, if you want to, if you really want to learn this game, you should start at the level where you think you're, where you can progress at, which is, I think, where I started was the recreational level. And if you start on the recreational level, um, I think you can progress better and better and better, like like myself. I'm supposed to be getting back with the uh, Terrebonne Parish uh, Recreation Department when everything opens back up, and I'm going to volunteer myself with the Recreation Department, um, and I want to be able to help those younger officials that's in the um, – recreation department because they're mostly kids and I know they mostly just do it for the dollar but if I can speak to them and show them that um, 
that refereeing could really be something that they might be looking forward into if you give it to them down the line like you're supposed to. I think it can be a great lookout. You've officiated several high-stakes playoff games, several top 28 games. What are those games like when you get to take your show on the road and go to other regions and kind of showcase yourself? I'm sure that's got to be a big thrill and a big honor. Man, Casey, that's one of the biggest feelings in the world. You know, I feel like um, when I did my first uh, championship game way back when, when they used to do it at ULL at the time, and I stepped on the court, I thought I was calling a big NBA game, Casey, until <laughs> I realized it was only a high school game, you know, buddy? But, hey, I took it and I went with it, and um, I, I was uh, applauded for it. It, it, was a, it was a very good feeling. It was like no other feeling in the world. You know, I, I feel that after you start the season in November and you make it all the way to the end, to the finish line, I think that's the most that's the most profound the way you can have it done, you know. Have you ever thought about, I mean, I know in, in the association we have a lot of guys who do multiple sports. Have you ever thought about picking up some other stuff or are you just strictly basketball only guy? You know, a couple of my uh, friends want me to do football because I do recreational football. And I always said, you know what, I'm going to do me some junior high football games. But I, I, I can't. I can't gauge that. I, you know, I do so much basketball. Believe it or not, I referee basketball from November to at least the second week of August every year. Because once I finish my school ball, I jump right into summer league, AAU, adult leagues. And, you know, there's no there's no break in between for me. The only two months that I don't referee basketball is September and October. And I go straight through every year. Yeah, I didn't realize you did that much, man. That's that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so so, talk us through. You've done like you've you've done hundreds of games. Is there any one or two that stand out that were just like crazy finishes, crazy games? Is there any of them that stand out to you? Believe it or not, there's one game that I can think of right away. It was two or maybe three. It was the last year of uh, the HL game when uh, HL and Thibodeau played in Thibodeau when A.J. Rainey was a senior. Um, I pulled up at the school, and the line was around the corner. I didn't know what the hell was going on when I realized, you know, <laughs> that the crowd was going to be like it was. Okay, so that day in particular, uh, Casey, the, uh, the first half went real well, but the floor started sweating with about a minute left before halftime. So we come out of halftime, and the floor is really, really wet now. So we can't play no more basketball. There's no way in, There's no way we can play finish this game. So I call my assignment secretary, let him know what was going on. He calls, he uh, he tells the coaches, you know, y'all do what y'all got to do. Believe it or not, this was a Friday night. So the coaches got together, and we ended up playing this game, the second half of the game, on a, mon- on a Monday, Monday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, Casey, the same amount of fans that was there Friday night was there again on Monday night to watch two quarters of a basketball game. And believe it or not, that, that the game came down to the final shot. And I want to say Thibodeau won on the buzzer by maybe one or two. And I think that was one of the most interesting games that I think I've ever been in between since I've been in a high school game. That's crazy, man. And we talk with coaches on this podcast all the time, and they all say – Hey, look, our area is so much better now in the last five or six years than what it was, you know, before you've been a part of that. You've been calling games now for more than a decade. Can you talk about just how much more athletic and strong and physical our players are now compared to 10 years ago? Definitely, definitely. The game has really changed, per se, when we used to play basketball. Now with the technology that's brought upon us, 
you got kids now that are at a young age are really, really getting the type of training that they've been looking for for a very long time. And I think down south where we're from, we didn't have that that in particular training that a lot of the kids up north that's been getting uh, a lot of uh, success behind. And now that we have some important people down here in our area, the little Fouche area, the Turbon Parish area, that are that are really training these kids to be to be better athletes, you know, and and I think that's that's definitely helped the way that the game has been changed because the tempo of the game, the speed of the game, and the physicality of the game now is definitely different than when I first started, and you can definitely see how it, it has progressed. So one of the things that I'm so curious about is, okay, like, you know, if, if let's say I'm a basketball player. Some basketball players are shooters. Some players are rebounders. Some players are defenders. With a referee, do you guys have, like, certain strengths and weaknesses? Like, does does Derek Ross say, hey, I'm really good at these calls, but I have to work on these other calls? And if so, what are some of those strengths and some of those weaknesses that you're always working on? Uh, believe it or not, yes. Every, every time I'm on the court, there's always something that a referee should always want to work on. Because like I say, I'm not perfect, but there's a lot of things that we must always look at. And I, I myself, I always try to focus, especially when I'm underneath the goal is to watch those bodies that's banging, you know, because you, you, you have to, you have to be on it as a, as a referee. And, uh, the minute you turn your eye, if you don't see something quick can happen, you know, and you want to be, you want to be on it. You want to stay on it, you know, and, and like I say, it's it's, it's tough at times, but if all three of your if all three of the partners are on the same page at the same time, you definitely have you won't have a problem at all. And that's the most important thing is definitely before a game is having a group talk and knowing what it is that we're looking for. Because I'm sure all of us have had the same teams more than once, so you know where the hot heads are, you know who can play, you know who can't play, and you know what to look for. So as an official, you make sure you have that good game talk before you start playing the game of basketball so you'll know exactly what it is that you need to be looking on. And as far as uh, strong points, I always try to work on uh, blowing the whistle real hard because sometimes you have those crowds and they don't even hear, you know, the crowds be so loud and you, you, you know, you think you're blowing the whistle, but you're really not blowing it and the kids are still playing. So you want to blow that whistle. So that's always one of my strong points when I first started officiating was always blow that whistle hard and don't be afraid to blow it. Very good. Well, look, man, I thank you so much for the time. This was one hell of an interview. We never had an official on before. It was so great to hear you guys' perspective on things, and we'll do this again soon, okay? Okay, I appreciate it, Brad. Absolutely. And if you ever need anything, man, just hit me up and feel free. Same to you, brother. Take care. Take care. As Mr. Derek Ross joining us, great official, great dude. We thank him so much for his time. We look forward to seeing him back in the basketball gym real soon as uh, we look forward to hopefully having a basketball season without interruption. Let's catch a quick commercial break when we get back. So much to talk about. Like after so many months of not having any games on, we could talk about the MLB. We're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to talk about the SEC's decision to cancel their non-conference games. We're going to talk a little bit of high school, our sports betting blitz, all that and more. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFouchegazette.com. What's up, guys? It's me again. I know you're getting tired of hearing me during the commercials, but I have another message, another very important thing I'd like to tell you. I'm doing this podcast on my own time, and it's 100% for you guys, our listeners, our readers, and everybody in Lafouche Parish who loves sports and who loves news as much as I do. So I cannot stress to you enough, if there's a guest that you want to hear, please let me know. I'll try to get them on. If there's a question that you have, please find me on social media. 
at Casey underscore Jisclare at Twitter, JisclareCasey at gmail.com. Find a way to get a hold of me. I want this to be an interactive show, but I want you guys to participate, and I want you guys to be part of the team. So please, if you have someone that you'd like for us to book, let us know so we can reach out to them. If you have a question, please let me know. I'm available 24-7. Don't take any days off. Please make sure that if you got something that you'd like for us to cover, that you let us know so that we could do the best for our awesome listeners. I thank our two calling guests today, Mr. Kenny Delkin with Lafouche Parish Schools, Mr. Derek Ross, local official in the Bayou Association. Um, great calls. Uh, both gave great information in their own ways. I thank them so much for their time. I think one of the things that sets our show apart from others is the interaction that we have with um, A, our listeners. We take Q&As and we answer questions all the time. And B, I think we give a more diverse and interesting uh, list of calling guests than any other show. We've had Lafouche Parish President Archie Shass on. We've now had a referee. We've had coaches, um, at, you know, school board officials. We've had the school board superintendent. Uh, we have a very diverse offering. When Window Cure All with the levy districts come on. Uh, so people who are in prominent decision-making positions have joined this show, and I think that that's one of the things that sets us apart and has allowed us to grow. Um, now we'll talk some sports. We're going to go, you know, over a lot of things because for the first time since doing this show, there are actually a lot of things to talk about. Like for two months, whenever we have been in our, you know, our initial episodes, which now we've done more than 20, which is crazy to me still yet. Um, but most of our lead up to this point has been talking about things that are canceled or things that are preparing to be played. And now we're at a spot where it's the exact opposite. Things are being played and, and games are being played and seasons have been reopened. The MLB's reopened. We'll talk about that. The NBA has been reopened. We'll talk about that. And, you know, high schools is trying to figure out how they're going to get their situation rectified. And we'll talk some college as well. It's going to be all encompassing, but We'll start, I guess, with the bad news. We'll get that out of the way. The MLB is having some issues in their reopening, and I hate to pat myself on the back. I hate to be the guy who says, I told you so. I hate to be the guy who puffs my chest out and proclaims victory because no one wins whenever sports get shut down. But we said on this very show that the MLB's reopening plan was not going to work and the reason why we were confident that it was not going to work was because there was no bubble there was no um, uniformity players were pretty much able to do whatever they wanted to do and if you don't change the recipe for how you live then you're going to have high contraction rates because the rest of society is having high contraction rates the MLB didn't put a bubble in place they're suffering now for it the Miami Marlins have Close to 20 players who've tested positive. They've been on ice all week long. Uh, outbreaks with the, the St. Louis Cardinals. Outbreaks with the Philadelphia Phillies. And other teams have been shut down as a precaution. And now it's becoming a bit of a mess because you've got these teams who have never stopped playing. 
and these teams who have now been shut down for close to a week all into this 60-game schedule. The standings are unbalanced. It's a mess. It's, it's, it's ugly right now, and it's so ugly that the MLB sent out a memo to their teams yesterday saying, hey, if we don't get this thing cleaned up, we're going to have to cancel the rest of our season. And I, no one wants to see it come to that. But given the circumstances, given the, the situations, you know, it's, it's certainly uh, not too far-fetched to think that that may be a realistic possibility. Now, one thing I want to say, and I will um, probably be pretty strong about this, <laughs> so I apologize in advance. But one thing I want to say is that, and, and this gives me actually a little bit of hope. So this is actually some good news out of a bad situation. The MLB has now tracked um, some of their outbreaks, and they have discovered that their outbreaks and their bad situations are all centered around breaches in protocol. And what I mean by that is the MLB has given guidance to teams and have told teams, hey, when you're on the road, this is what you should be doing, and here's the, this is what you should not be doing. For instance, players are being asked to mask up to and from, you know, Hotels, whenever you get off the bus and go into the hotel, mask up. And we're not talking cloth mask. We're talking surgical mask. They've got the good stuff. The players are being told when you're at the hotel, stay in your hotel. Don't go to the hotel bar and, and get wasted. Don't go out and get an Uber and go out on the town. Don't do any of the things that could potentially get you in trouble. And they have now discovered that the outbreaks that we've seen involving the Marlins, involving the Cardinals, are based around breaches in that th those criterias. They have now discovered that the Marlins, according to social media rumor and innuendo, have gone to a strip club when they were in Atlanta after an exhibition game. They have now discovered, based on rumor and innuendo, that the Cardinals had a couple of guys go to a casino while on the road. And I think that what the MLB needs to realize is that they need to take this more seriously because if they want to have a season, they got to follow those protocols. But it gives me hope that this is not something that's completely out of control. If the players just get their heads out of their rears and do what they're being guided to do, it is a manageable situation. Which brings me to my second point, which is when there is an outbreak like this with the Marlins or with the Cardinals, it affects them, but it also affects other teams because now – for instance, the Brewers are on ice this weekend without anything being wrong with their roster, but they're being shut down because uh, the Cardinals can't play, which means the Brewers later in the season are going to have to play more games and an accelerated schedule. And it, here's my stance on it. And I think that this goes back to the general theme of which we've had throughout the entire summer, which is MLB doesn't have any leadership. They don't have any leadership. Their, their commissioner is among the worst in the history of professional sports. Um, they, they have not put any procedures in place to guarantee that their rules will be enforced. And what I mean is this, in the NFL, there are similar, um, protocols and bylaws for when teams are on the road, but in the NFL, it's very clearly laid out. If you break the rules, you're going to be fined heavily. If you break the rules, you're going to be penalized heavily. And it's time for Major League Baseball to put something similar in place and say, hey, if you want to go to a casino and cause a COVID outbreak, which affects the entire season, then instead of postponing these games, the, the Marlins and the Cardinals and all these teams breaking protocol should have to forfeit games. Like why should innocent teams who are having bad things happen 
to their schedule without doing anything wrong. Why should they be penalized because of the stupidity of others? So at some point, if we could you know, get to a situation where we could prove, hey, you broke protocol, you should be having to forfeit these games that are not being played. Because right now the good are suffering for the bad, and that's not the way that it should be. You know, you got these rules in place. You should be doing things to force the enforcement of these rules being in place. And I know there's going to be this guy on social media who's going to say, well, they're not prisoners. Well, you're damn right they're not prisoners, but they're getting paid millions of dollars to follow these rules. And it sucks that, uh, you know, a Major League Baseball player may have to stay in their hotel room and play cards with their teammates instead of going out and, you know, to the hotel bar. But guess what? That's why they're getting paid seven-figure salaries. And, you know, the world is different. You can't do the things that you used to do. And I I preach this to you guys in in general society, but the same theme is here in athletics. So MLB needs to crack down on this and force enforcement by threatening to take victories and losses and, you know, from, from teams to, you know, enforce the rules by making the teams that break the rules forfeit in the games that have to get canceled and postponed. And, I hope that, you know, the teams take it seriously and I hope that we could get this thing, you know, thrown out because I've enjoyed watching baseball and I think the fans have enjoyed watching baseball because their ratings are sky high. Their ratings are actually higher than the NBA's ratings right now, which is surprising in its own right. So to to have the momentum in the sport and the interest in the sport and then have it be taken away because of a breach in protocol would just be completely unfortunate. So uh, that's my take on MLB, and I, I think that they'll get it right. But shifting gears, and literally shifting gears, because you know I have moved my operation inside. Um, my neighbors are cutting grass, so I didn't want you guys to have to hear uh, machinery going on while we record this podcast. But talk about some NBA. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about all the the drama involving the New Orleans Pelicans, and I'm about ready to make people angry. Uh, I'm about ready to make people upset, Um, but whatever, it's the truth, and if you look deep down inside you, uh, you would understand and realize that it's the truth, and a lot of my social media friends have actually agreed with this, which I was a little surprised about, Um, but, you know, so hopefully our our podcast listeners appreciate it as well. Here's the the truth. Um, I know everybody was excited for the start of the NBA because it was an opportunity to watch Zion Williamson, and it was an opportunity to watch the Pelicans, and we were all even more excited whenever the Pelicans played their three exhibition games, looked good, won them all. Um, I took a little bit of heat and a little bit of flack whenever I picked against the Pelicans in their opener against the Jazz. Here's the reality of the situation. The New Orleans Pelicans are a second-rate franchise uh, that are the little brother of the New Orleans Saints. They're given little brother attention from the Benson family. And as long as they are just kind of an afterthought and a hobby, they're always going to have potential, but not the results to back that potential. So I was surprised, you know, in the buildup to the NBA restart with the, the optimism. Like so many people were so optimistic, like, man, this team's going to go 7-1 and one or 8-0 and oh, and they're going to go, you know, and they're going to challenge the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs and the entire time I'm, I'm hearing this, I'm like, man, hold up. Like, where's this coming from? Like, you guys are forgetting this is the same team that started off the season like 6-22. and 22, And the same team that um, won every single preseason game that they played this season and then started off 6-22. and 22. The same team that um, loses every close game that they're in. 
Like, they are number one in the NBA in losses in games decided by five points or less. Number one, they lose every close game that they're in. Um, I get the whole Zion thing. I, I, I get the excitement, but this idea that after four or five months off, you know, the zebra would suddenly change its stripes, it was asinine. It didn't make any sense. Like, this was, they're always going to, this is going to be their identity. This is who they are. They're the team that gets you excited, then they let you down. Now, here's what's going to happen, okay? I'm recording this. By the time you listen to this, they may or may not have already played the Clippers. Because that game is being played in two hours from now from when I'm recording this. Um, so you're listening to this. I don't know what the result of that game is going to be. You don't, and, and you may know what the result of that game is going to be. So here's what's going to happen. The Pelican schedule is about to lighten up. Whether they beat the Clippers or not, it's about to lighten up. And they're going to probably get hot and start winning some games. Um and everybody's going to get excited, and then we're going to sip the Kool-Aid again, and then they're going to get to the playoffs if they make the playoffs and fall flat uh, because they're just not ready. They're just not that good. Um, I, Zion Williamson is, is, is a tremendous rookie, a tremendous rookie. And, yes, the team is being cautious with him, probably overly cautious with him. But he's not without fault for some of the things that, that went wrong on Thursday. He's not without fault. And what I mean by that is, Let's just take a deep dive into the numbers and a deep dive into the data. He was on the floor for 15 minutes. The team was minus 16 when he was out there, meaning they were 16 points worse with him on the floor. Why is that? Because the guy doesn't play a lick of defense. And, you know, just just watch and pay attention to Zion Williamson's defensive effort. The kid doesn't play a lick of defense. The Pelicans may get a little better offensively whenever he's on the floor, though I could debate that too because I think their pace drops off. They are far worse defensively when he's out there. Um, and now, now that's going to be a red flag for a lot of people who are going to say, well, in the games that he plays, statistically their defense is better than whenever he doesn't play. And that's a fact. But I think that what goes into that more is the effort of everybody else is better when he's out there because Zion himself, his individual defense is not very good. I think it's more of the team believes that they are a contender when he's on the floor, so there's a greater general effort than it is anything individually that he's doing. Because I saw him get scored on a lot on Thursday. I saw him get beat off the dribble a lot on Thursday. I saw him late trailing plays on Thursday, and I saw a kid who – it's probably the best athlete on the floor, gets zero rebounds on Thursday. Uh, if you could jump up big, tall, and high whenever you're dunking the basketball, you could jump up big, tall, and high whenever you're getting rebounds. Uh, to get zero rebounds in that many minutes is inexcusable and acceptable. And, and though he's a great player, great rookie, great future, all this and that and the other, he's got to make improvements as well to make a greater impact when he's out there because there's more to the game of basketball than just dunking and you know, catching alley-oops and all that, you know, sexy stuff that we like to talk about. That's just a small piece of the puzzle. He's got to be a more complete, more rounded player. A couple of observations from the NBA bubble. Um, the first thing is um, I think that our playoffs are going to just be so entertaining. Like, you look at the Western Conference right now. You tell me who the who the best team is. Like, and we could debate it, and I think both sides, no matter what choice you, you, you pick, will have an argument. Um, you can make the debate for the Lakers. They have the best record. They just got done beating the Clippers. Well, the Clippers were missing two of their key players and almost beat them um, 
You know, you can make a case for the Jazz. The Jazz are playing well. You can make a case for the Nuggets. You can make a case for my Rockets. The Rockets, when they're playing well, they're awfully tough to beat. They've got the best offense maybe in, in the NBA history. Um, the Dallas Mavericks are the seventh seed. They have the number one offensive efficiency in the NBA. Who's to say that Dallas doesn't get in and, and surprise somebody in the first round? Um and then you got Portland and the Pelicans and all that competing with Memphis for the eight seed. That, that, that'll that be a very strong eight seed. It's going to all be about matchups. And I think that the thing that makes the Western Conference playoffs more exciting this year than in years past is, like, for instance, let me just go off my perspective for the Houston Rockets, okay, because I'm a big Rockets guy. I think the Rockets could beat the Lakers. I think that they could beat the Lakers. I don't think, I think the Lakers' biggest strength is their size and I think the Rockets play a style that makes size less important I think that they'll run up and down the floor make the Lakers shrink and whenever the Lakers shrink they won't be as good at playing small ball as Houston would I think Houston could beat them on the flip side to that I don't think the Rockets could beat the Clippers so you know it all is going to depend on how they match up and who they match up with and where on the flip side to that I think the Lakers could beat the Clippers so you know, it, it's going to just be who sees who and when do they see him. I think the Nuggets could beat the Lakers heads up. I don't think the Nuggets could beat the Rockets or the Clippers. Again, matchups. And, and that's why these eight seeding games are so exciting and so entertaining because it's literally shaping what the bracket's going to look like. Um, I, I'm glued to it. I'm, I'm watching a game right now. As, as I'm, I'm recording this, I'm watching a game right now between the Jazz and Oklahoma City. I'm glued to it. And, and out east, it's going to be just as exciting, just as entertaining. I watched the Heat play Denver today. The Heat looked tremendous. I watched the Celtics challenge the Bucks a couple nights ago. That that looked entertaining as heck. I'm going to be watching the Lakers and the Raptors tonight. Um, it, was, it was tremendous to see the first two nights. It's tremendous to see the third night. And they're not having any issues with COVID at all. Uh, their bubble is working flawlessly. Kudos to everybody involved who made that. Uh, all happen. It's been great to see the basketball back on TV. Now, <clears throat> one NBA thing that I want to touch on, um, and this is more of a culture thing than an NBA thing. Everybody's been kneeling for the national anthem, and everybody's been wearing their Black Lives Matter shirts and all their different things like that, and you know, to each his own. That's we've talked about that on previous episodes. We support that movement. We support that cause. Um, if that's something you choose to do or choose to be a part of, it's your right as an American to be free to kneel. It's your right as an American to make a statement as long as you're doing it peacefully and within the means of the law. But here's what I think uh, we've got to eliminate. And here's where I think we lose focus sometimes in our efforts to change the world and promote um, equality. Jonathan Isaac for the Orlando Magic yesterday decided he's going to stand for the National Anthem. He decided he's not going to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt and he's going to stand. Jonathan Isaac is a black male, a young black male. And he is being roasted and crucified on social media because of his decision to stand for the National Anthem. A decision that he made because he you know, has religious reasons and he, he believes that the movement is greater than, you know, just wearing a shirt and, you know, action should dictate the movement. And he said, I only kneel before God. We shouldn't have any problems about a person making that decision for himself. Um, Charles Barkley said this, I think maybe the best that I've heard it on Inside the NBA a couple of days ago is actually on Thursday, the night of the restart. 
he said, hey, if you want to kneel, great, I'm there with you. But if somebody stands, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. And I think that where we lose focus sometimes is we focus on the sizzle so much and not at the stake. And what I mean by that is kneeling, wearing a t-shirt, making a political statement, um, the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, um, the things you type on Twitter are all a small piece of the pie. And what is far more conducive to change in society is based on action, based on how you vote, based on do you vote at all, based on how do you treat people in times of crisis, based on how do you um, converse and, and have relationship, relationships with people who are different from you, people who are unlike you, being understanding to the struggles of others. So that Jonathan Isaac didn't want to kneel for the national anthem doesn't make him a, a bad person, doesn't make him anti-cause, doesn't make him anti-equality. He's a young black man. Like, do you really think the statement he's trying to make is that his own life doesn't matter? Of course not. That's asinine to assume and that's asinine to say. So I feel like we lose focus sometimes trying to be so woke, as they like to say, on, in ways that aren't making a realistic change. Uh, and and, and we, we focus more on that than on actually changing our actions in our day-to-day -day lives and physically changing how we interact with and treat other people. And that's what this movement is about. It's about treating people differently. It's about treating certain people better than what we currently do. I would much rather someone be more kindful and, and more respectful and more caring uh, while wearing a plain t-shirt than I would somebody just wearing a t-shirt and changing nothing about how they live. So to those people who are saying mean things about Jonathan Isaac and uh, are also criticizing uh, Greg Popovich for standing and Becky Hammond for standing, you are part of the problem. Your simplification of this issue um, into right, wrong, black, white, no gray area in between is part of the problem. And it's that type of divisiveness within the movement that causes some people to not want to be part of the movement. It's very simple. Just treat people better, show more love, show more respect, and the entire world would be a much better place. Now, one more NBA thing, and then we'll talk about something else. Um, got my free cardiac exam last night as my Rockets opened up their time in the bubble, uh, taking on Dallas Mavericks. Um, they were down seven points with 40 seconds left, came back forced overtime by a miracle, then won in overtime, 153 to 149. Um, I'm not going to do a, a rocket segment where I break down the box score of all my favorite players. No one wants to hear that but me. Um, but what I will do is, is this, I will do it. You know, there, there's no player in modern time in the NBA who has more output, more statistical output, and more impact on the games in which he plays, but yet gets little respect than James Harden. And think about what I'm saying here. Because anybody who follows the sport closely on social media and is on Twitter and sees some of the things that, that fans around the sport say, 
The guy's so unappreciated and so universally disliked because people don't like the way that he plays. They don't like the flopping and the flailing and the, the, the drawing fouls and everything of that sort. I, you know, I, I somewhat get that. Um, but here's where I think we have lost ourselves in the James Harden argument. We have somehow thought or, or you know, gotten to a place where we think that everything that he's doing successfully in a game is because of the flopping and the flailing. And we're losing the, the, the appreciation of the fact that this is a once-in-a-lifetime talent and a, a once-in-a-generation type of player. Um, this dude missed two weeks of the bubble and came out and in the first game back didn't have a minute restriction, wasn't playing in short spurts while riding an exercise bike on the sidelines, he played 43 minutes, and this is this was his stat line against a very good Dallas Mavericks team. 14 of 20 shooting, 3 of 9 from the three-point line, 18 of 21 from the free throw line, 49 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals, 3 blocks, and just one turnover. And oh yeah, he led his team to a victory, and oh yeah, and over time he was absolutely dominant and carried his team through a tough situation. Like, the fact that we cannot universally say at this point as a basketball community that that guy is unbelievable is, is, is shameful. We are so far into the, the, the trees that we don't realize we're in the forest. This guy is going to be the best scorer of our lifetime. We're gonna, like, children are going to be looking at baseball cards 20 years from now and are going to be told by their parents that LeBron James was the best player of this generation or that, you know, whoever, Zion Williamson or whatever is the best player of this generation, Kevin Durant, whatever name you choose, and they're going to get a James Harden baseball card, look at the back of the card and say, why don't we talk about this guy? This guy who, for now two straight seasons, has averaged 35 points a game at a time when it's harder than ever to separate yourself in the NBA because of the talent and athleticism and the length of opposing defenses. Why don't we talk about this guy who now um, is making more three-pointers than anybody else in the league, who has now for three, no, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six straight seasons has also averaged seven or more assists per game. Why don't we talk about this guy who um, has both been a scoring champion and, and, and an assist champion in his career? Like the, the 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 slander for James Harden just is mind blowing to me. It's mind boggling to me, and it, it was eye opening to me yesterday. The fact that even some of his biggest critics, some of my buddies on social media who like to give him a hard time, in part because they like to give me a hard time, but I understand that, were even saying like, this dude's on a whole another level. Like he scores when he wants to score. You can't stop him. And I just hope that more and more people could become converted. You don't have to like the way he plays. You don't have to like the flopping. You don't have to like whatever. There are a lot of things about LeBron James's game that I don't like. I don't like the fact that he shows up the official every time he's called for a foul. I think he should be given a technical foul and ejected from almost every game he plays. I think he acts like a baby on the floor. But at the end of the day, I also can see the game through a clear enough lens to know that he's a dominant force. And I feel like with James Harden, we don't have that same realism. Like, there are people out there who literally think the dude is trash because they don't like the way he plays. And and I just think that's a wrong way to look. And 
I know he cut some weight in the, the quarantine. He's thinner, leaner than he's ever been. He looked great in the exhibition games. And my God, did he look great last night. And, and if this is what a focused, lean, and shape uh, quarantine James Harden looks like going forward, the Rockets are going to be a very fun and very dangerous team for the rest of the bubble. And it's going to be a team that I look forward greatly to watching. So we shift gears from the NBA. We talk about some college football now. And the the very sad news of uh, the SEC uh, canceling their non-conference schedule. And we say sad news because uh, it, it means ultimately the cancellation of LSU's game with Nickel State University, which a lot of people were looking forward to. And we'll talk about things from the Nichols perspective in just a minute, but we'll talk about things from the SEC perspective first. Um, the league opted because of the COVID pandemic to cancel their non-conference games, uh, move from an eight-game schedule to a 10-game schedule. And the opponents um, where the, the, the two opponents that will be added will be your next two rotational opponents from the opposite division. So what I mean by that is LSU will be playing their usual SEC schedule, which would have consisted of games with everybody in the West, Florida, and then South Carolina. And then also their next two rotational Eastern Division opponents, which happen to be uh, this coming season, uh, it'll be Kentucky and Tennessee. So um, the, the SEC has not released a finalized schedule of who plays whom and when and what time and all that good stuff. That'll be coming in the coming days. Uh, but a couple of notes here. Uh, I get asked a lot, why are they doing this? You know, and, and it's a complicated issue. And, 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 a, and a big part of it is because the universities are very concerned about having to pay guaranteed you know, money to a Nichols or to a you know, whoever, Texas San Antonio, who is also on LSU schedule. They don't want to pay money to those teams, can play these games without fans, you know, because the money that they would have been using to pay those games would have been based on ticket sales and revenues and everything that may otherwise be lost. So while no one has yet admitted that, I mean, I'm not a dummy. I know the reason, you know, one of the reasons is because of finances. They don't want to um, commit themselves to potentially be in positions where they could lose six and seven figures. And I mean, I understand that. Anyone who wouldn't understand that is quite frankly being unreasonable. Um, but th there are more things at play. There are more issues at play that are not being considered. Um, another thing is the uniformity of testing. Uh, by having a conference-only schedule, Everything is the same. The SEC could say, hey, you've got to test your players on this day, this day, and this, and this day. Maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever it may be. Um, and they'll know on a Saturday when it's time to line things up that everybody on that field will have uniform testing and will be in the same capable hands as everybody else. There will not be any concerns about, well, you know, did this punter get tested or did this quarterback get tested this week? You know, if... If this player sneezes, you know, or starts coughing, is there concerns about, hey, does he have COVID? Well, then you could say, hey, no, he doesn't because he was tested yesterday and he tested negative. So by having uniformity in the testing, it'll allow for more consistency and it'll allow for, I think, a better handling of the situation of, or, and or any outbreaks if they should take place. Um, people don't like it. I don't necessarily like it, but it's the reality in which we live. And if, if we've got to sacrifice cupcake games to allow for a season to happen then I mean that's just a very very small price to pay 
Um, and I do think the idea of an SEC-only schedule where all 10 games are going to be rel- relatively entertaining games uh, could potentially have its benefits. For LSU, they're going to be adding Kentucky and Tennessee, so we kind of look at some of the winners and some of the losers. Who's going to be you know, receiving difficult games? Who's going to be receiving quote-unquote easy games? From the LSU perspective, Kentucky and Tennessee are fringe teams, teams that are going to finish in that 5 and 7 to 7 and 5 range. So I think that LSU is a winner here because they're going to be adding two games that are favored to, you know, win in by probably 10 plus points in both cases. Alabama is going to be hurting a little bit. They add a game with Florida. Uh, that's going to spice up their schedule quite a bit. And then also Vanderbilt. Um, Alabama now is going to be in a situation where they've got to play the entire SEC West, which is going to be brutal. It always is. They've got to play Georgia and Florida on the other side. Like in years past, we have, as LSU fans, gotten comfortable with, with making the statement, oh, bro, Alabama don't play nobody. And most years we're right in making that statement. But this year they've got a murderer's row. They're going to be heavily challenged and curious to see how they hold up against those stiff challenges. Auburn's going to be adding South Carolina and Missouri to their schedule. Arkansas will be adding Georgia and South Carolina. Mississippi State, Vanderbilt and Georgia. Ole Miss, Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, Let's see. Uh, Texas A&M will be adding Missouri and Florida. On the opposite side, Florida will be adding, Florida's got it rough too, Florida will be adding Alabama and Texas A&M. Georgia will be adding Arkansas and Mississippi State. Georgia's a big winner here. Kentucky will be adding LSU and Ole Miss. Missouri will be adding Texas A&M and Auburn. South Carolina will be adding Auburn and Arkansas. Tennessee will be adding Ole Miss and LSU. Vanderbilt will be adding Mississippi State and Alabama. Does anybody get out of this smelling like roses more than Georgia? Like, the SEC West is loaded every year. You know, LSU's going to be good. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, Texas A&M, you know, the the cream of the crop, those top four teams. Uh, The odds are if you're adding two teams to your schedule, at least one of the two teams that you add is going to be pretty good. Georgia added Arkansas and Mississippi State, probably the two worst teams in the SEC West. So they get out smelling like a rose. Now, we preface that by saying in their natural schedule, they're going to be playing Alabama. So, you know, they don't get off completely scot-free uh, but in terms of the additional games Georgia probably is the big winner they add two games and they're going to be favored by 20 plus points in both of them so just something to consider that's that's how we stand from the SEC side of things from the nickel side of things this is a whole hell of a lot more complicated we this morning hosted the sports corner Stan Grabois and I we were talking about um uh, the, the the same things that we're talking about here, the schedule changes, and Coach Tim Rebo actually impromptu called into the show and was talking about some of the challenges Nichols is going to face. They're trying to find games because if you remember, Nichols had an 11-game schedule, nine conference games, two non-conference games. Both of their non-conference games are now washed. They had Mississippi Valley State. The SWAT canceled. That game's now washed. LSU's now washed. They've got two openings, and they're having a hard time filling it up. So what does that mean? That means, you know, you lose a $1 million payday from LSU or whatever the number would have been. I I don't have information about that contract. But you lose a $1 million payday with LSU. That greatly impacts that athletic budget, man. That means that those small sport coaches are going to have to be incredibly resourceful in terms of raising money and generating funds and generating resources and 
a university who's already behind the eight ball as it is in terms of you know what they have, what they don't have, what they can and what they can't do is now going to be even more behind the eight ball. And I sincerely hope that there are not any types of cancellations or scholarship reductions or any things of that sort. But I'm also a realist and I know just they're running out of beans to count in the in the piggy bank so to speak and and without those game guarantees man it's going to be it's going to be difficult and i hope that it's it's it, it's a level of difficulty that's sustainable and that they could continue to go forward but it's going to be difficult and there're going to be a lot of things that aren't going to look the same way that we're used to having them look and it's um it's a scary scary uncertain time and we Certainly hope that the Colonels could find a game and replace, you know, the games that they've lost. But we just don't know yet how that's going to look. And, and and if they can't replace them, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like going forward. Um, but we're thinking about those guys. And we know and trust in their leadership and know that they're going to make the right decisions and going to do the things that they need to do. So now we move to our sports betting blitz. And we thank everybody for their kind words. I know people really like the betting blitz and People like uh, some of the things that we've been doing with the betting blitz. So we move now to the next two teams in our series, the Houston Texans and the AFC South. The Texans are predicted currently at over or under seven and a half wins. I actually did a little bit of pre-research on this one uh, because at first glance, I would have said over because you got Deshaun Watson. Um, you've got, uh, you know, the opportunity here to, have some good weapons. Uh, I know they've been rumored in the Antonio Brown sweepstakes, and you get David Johnson in a trade. Uh, so I, my first instinct would have been over, but I'm going to go under here with the Texans because simply just a numbers game. Like, let me just read to you their schedule. Uh, they open up at the Chiefs, then Baltimore. That's literally probably the two best teams in the NFL back-to-back weeks. At Pittsburgh, first Minnesota. That's your first your first four games. Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, Vikings. Like, that's brutal out of the gate. Jaguars, Titans, Green Bay. It doesn't get much much easier. Jaguars, again, um, Cleveland Browns, New England Patriots, Lions, Colts, Bears, Colts, Bengals, Titans. Uh, let's count off the games here that they're going to be for sure favored to win. They're going to be favored to beat Jacksonville twice. That's two. They're going to be favored at home to beat the Patriots, probably. That's three. Slight favorite, probably, on Thanksgiving against the Lions. That's four. And and favored to beat the Bengals at home on December 27th. That's five. And even some of those games that I'm saying they'll be favored in are not sure wins. Like New England at home, that's not a sure win. The Lions on Thanksgiving Day, that's not a sure win. Uh, so where will they potentially steal games? They're home against Baltimore. Yeah, they can maybe steal that one. At Kansas City, probably not. At Pittsburgh, probably not. They're home against Minnesota. Eh. At Tennessee, eh. Green Bay at home. There's another one where you kind of sigh. You just have a hard time counting if, and it's a big if, they win the five games that they're favored to win. You have a hard time finding three others that they're going to win. And, and realistically, they're probably not going to win all five of those games that we counted off as wins anyway. So I'm going to go under for the Texans just because of numbers, just because of sheer math. I think they've got probably the hardest schedule that we've seen so far in the sports betting blitz. So while we're not you know disgusted with the Texans, we like their roster, we like some of the things that they have, oh, they've just got a murderer's row and a ridiculously tough schedule. 
Now we go to the Indianapolis Colts, the next team. Over under nine wins for the Colts. Uh, this one is tough. This one's real tough. The Colts got Phillip Rivers in the offseason, who I don't know if he's any good. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's any good. Um, he obviously has had a great career, but he had a, just a terrible 2019 season. Um, and for the Colts, I know that last year their quarterback wasn't any good. Jacoby Brissett really wasn't the answer. Um, so Rivers will probably be an upgrade from that. But Rivers also is going to turn the ball over more than Brissett will. So I'm going to say over for the Colts. I think they're probably the favorites to win this division. But I'm not altogether crazy about it. I'll go over, though, because their schedule is far lighter than the Texans is. They play the New York Jets. Um, you know, They also play the Bengals, which is a more winnable game. They play the Raiders. Uh, so give me over for the Colts. But, again, I'm not signing up you know, on the dotted line in blood here that, that, that this is going to be over because I think nine sounds about right. I think they'll be anywhere from eight to 11 wins if things go great. I think that, that you know they're going to be uh, a team that's in contention but a team that's going to be awfully challenged and, and battle-tested during the NFL regular season. Uh, so that's our sports betting blitz for today. Um, we thank everybody again for all the commentary and, and a lot of the, the debate that I've gotten around the show sur- uh, surrounds my picks and some of the things that we've said on the betting blitz. So uh, that, that's great. Uh, I actually have some breaking news here uh, in, in the podcast. It pertains to something we talked about a couple minutes ago. And the situation has now slightly changed. Uh, Rob Manfred, the MLB commissioner, has said today on ESPN that the MLB season will not be ending due to the latest coronavirus outbreaks. Um, so the, the league is going to push forward. Uh, Manfred said that the key to limiting the spread of uh, COVID-19 are players following protocols. Dun, da, da, da. I mean, we talked about that earlier in this segment. So they've got to find ways to enforce their rules. But it's good to see that they're committed to pushing forward and uh, getting things in a better place. Governor Edwards will make his decision on Tuesday whether we'll move forward or backward. We're not moving backward. Probably not moving forward either. Um, In our reopening efforts, uh, that is going to have a direct impact on high school, as we talked about with Mr. Delcom. But keep an eye on that on Tuesday. Um, And just pay attention to the math, the sheer math of the situation. The jamborees are supposed to be happening in three or four weeks. Well, (laughs) If we're in phase two for another two or three weeks, you know, obviously things are going to have to change. I don't know when the LHSA is going to start making those decisions about postponements or delays. Uh, we're going to talk to Mr. Bonine about that later in the week. But I just don't see any way in the world that we're not going to be having some delays and some postponements and some different things that are going to greatly alter the schedule. So keep your eyes and ears open on that. Um, if anything drastic happens, obviously, LaFouchegazette.com will be all over it, pouncing on it, reporting on it, all that good stuff. So we're going to sign off right here. We thank Mr. Delcom for his time. We thank uh, Derek Ross for his time. We thank you guys for listening. Find us on iTunes. Um, Your work is done once you hit subscribe. We'll send the episodes straight to your phone. Don't have to do anything after that. Uh, Give us a five-star rating. We greatly appreciate that. And thanks to everybody for listening, man. Like Our listenership has grown exponentially. We, we thank everybody so much for taking their time to allow us into their living rooms and their workspaces. And uh, it's, it's truly tremendously appreciated. 
We're going to continue to grow and we're going to continue to give you guys the content that you deserve. Um, but we're going to put a bow in this episode. Reminder, the next episode, Eddie Bow 9. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And uh, you guys have a great rest of the weekend. And maybe if you're listening to this on a Monday, kick off your work weekend style. Have a great week. Uh, you guys uh, stay blessed, stay hydrated, stay safe, socially distance, all that good stuff. God bless you all and have a great rest of the day. Adios.